This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. There's no call. Here comes Majapani with Dubé 2-on-1. Majapani to Dubé. He scores! On a beautiful pass from Andrew Majapani, Dylan Dubé one times the puck. Past Jonas Corposalo, and the sea of red erupts as the Flames beat the Blue Jackets 4-3 in overtime. The Calgary Flames get on a Monday night with a 4-3 overtime win against the league-worst Columbus Blue Jackets. It was an exciting night at the Scotiabank Saddledome. There was some juice in the building. Johnny's return had plenty of booze. Some cheers mixed in. There was a penalty shot. There was a scrap. And most importantly for Flames fans, there was two points at the end of the night. This is Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960. The fans, Logan Gordon along with you. Working on you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in beautiful Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And lots to get to on the show today. Lots of reaction from a Flames win at the Scotiabank Saddledome. They're second in a row on this homestand that finishes off Thursday against the Chicago Blackhawks. We'll chat with Peter Labardi about what we saw last night. Uh, we'll also check in. Uh, with our Tuesday regular Bick Nazar this hour from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. Rick Tockett makes his debut behind the Canucks bench. Uh, get some expectations for that. And some massive CFL news today as former Calgary Stampeders quarterback Bo Levi Mitchell has officially signed a three-year contract with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, he's set to speak to the media in just moments. We'll bring that to you a little bit later on in the show. And talk about what the that means for the CFL's quarterback landscape just a couple weeks out from free agency. But let's kick the program off like we always do. Head down to the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and say hello to our Flames analyst, the color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960. He is Peter Labardius. Uh, he joins us courtesy of the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Uh, your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference the Gemini Group now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Uh, happy Tuesday, Lou. How are you, sir? Uh, good afternoon. I am fine. Thank you kindly. Good to hear, pal. Um, fun night last night at the Scotiabank Saddledome, and uh, I liked how, how Pat put it and how I heard a couple people put it. Uh, there was more juice in that building than there would be most nights for a Monday night matchup against the Columbus Blue Jackets. We had a lot. We had a little bit of everything last night. Uh, we most certainly did, and you're right. It was uh, not run-of-the-mill midweek type of game in any way, shape, or form. The people came focused and ready and uh, had their 
very strong booing voices in solid form for the return of the divorced Johnny Gaudreau, as I like to call it, because <laughs> that's what this whole situation makes me think of and, and feel like and try to get to some proper perspective. Um, we don't really need to go over all of that, but when he gets the penalty shot early, you can't write. So, comes back, um, gets a penalty shot. You can tell he was nervous. Fires in line. Flames get off to a great start. Um, you can tell. It's funny both. We'll, uh, we'll reconnect with Peter Labardius there in just seconds. Just, uh, Sounds as though we just missed up the connection a little bit there. We're uh, just uh, diving into our uh, daily chat with Lou, talking all things Calgary Flames, especially after a big 4-3 overtime victory against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And uh, I know where Lou was going with that, the uh, the penalty shot early in the game for Johnny Gaudreau, the drama, the hype that was around it. We'll hear from Johnny in his post game uh, a little bit later here, but he could tell, you know, he said after – Talking to the media post game last night, that he got more settled uh, after the first period happened, and I think we've got uh, Lou back on the line now. Lou, and you were just talking about you know that penalty shot. You couldn't have scripted it any better, and you know you could tell it was it was uh, an emotional night for Johnny. Oh, it's very very much so. But again, I just came away from all of yesterday with him is just how classy, mature. You know, John Gaudreau was all grown up and just thought he handled everything just fantastic. And I'm sure it was not easy in some ways, in a lot of ways, in fact. But he handled it incredibly well. He chipped in with a couple of assists. And not, as I mentioned, the type of usual midweek or even weekend against Columbus that we've come to know in the past. So the fans got their say, Johnny got their say, we got our says over and over and over <laughs> again, and it's done. And now we can maybe talk about it from a non-Johnny perspective and more of a hockey perspective. And uh, just to sort of wrap up the the Johnny conversation, here is Johnny post game and uh, talked about you know hearing the finally hearing some cheers last night during the video tribute and uh, seeing the fans give him a bit of a standing ovation. He said it was a very special moment for him and uh, he appreciated all the atmosphere and everything that went into what was last night. Here's Johnny Gaudreau. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I definitely heard him over the booze. Um, you know, for the most part. Uh, you know, felt uh, felt pretty nice to to see everyone kind of standing up and you know clapping their hands and cheering for me, and then five seconds after start to booing again. So um, you know, it's what I expected um, coming here. Uh, it's a great fan base, and um, you know they're passionate fans. So uh, I loved it. It was uh, it was a special night for me. He did love playing here, Logan. There's no doubt. Absolutely zero. And I hope, for his sake, by and large, it was a good experience, whether he was reconnecting with friends here that he'd made over the years. But I know that he handled it as graciously and as honestly 
as anybody could. So for that, he deserves a lot of credit, and he did some really, really good things on the ice, especially on the power play. So all in all, a memorable good night. And now, you know, the Flames put two very, very important points that, for me, they absolutely had to have, and not even one would have been, you know, okay, all things considered. You just can't leave points on the table when you're in the situation that they're in. You're not going to win them all, and you're not going to win them all the rest of the way against teams that are below you in the standings, but you better win about 80% of those games at least down the stretch. And it might need to be even more than that. From a Flames perspective, Lou, they fire 49 shots on goal. Uh, You can see at times last night why the Columbus Blue Jackets are where they are in the standings. But the Flames do let leads of 2-0 and 3-2 slip through their hands at different points. How would you uh, evaluate it from a Flames perspective last night? I love the start. So it was great to see them. So they went two games with a good start, two games with not so good starts, two games with good starts again. Great to see Walker Dewar score that goal that nobody knew was in. And, you know, I thought after the Cadre goal, early in the second, you could just not even completely all their fault, but they knew they'd run the show all first period and probably thought for that type of team that they might go away after the 2 nothing goal early in the second, but they took their foot off, relaxed a little bit. I could even see before the Flames scored that Brad Larson's team was way hungrier and more determined and actually had a couple of good shifts to start the second period. And the Flames, you know, took a couple of penalties. Patrick Line, always difficult to stop. They made some plays, and now you're in a 2-2 game before one of the stars of the show, and for me, the star of the show, Andrew Mangiapane, three points, set up the overtime winner. I just I thought he was outstanding, one of his best games of the year. Scored on a spinorama late in the second. Again, the third was tricky and nerve-wracking just because of what was on the line. But the most positive thing, before we get to the most negative thing, and you know what that is, the loss of Chris Tanev, is they won, they get two points, and they win for just the third time in nine tries in the three-on-three portion of overtime, which thought they handled that situation much better in terms of puck possession and pulling it back out and trying to keep other people with the long change from the opponent on the ice longer. Do you think that they potentially got a break or two from the guys in the stripes? in the overtime, but all those things balance out over the course, even if you go back, even over the course of that night. 
You mentioned him. One of the uh, the stars of the game last night was Andrew Mangiapane. He's really started to heat up the last couple of weeks. That line with Coleman and Backlund, Mangiapane, have just been outstanding. I thought it was another great game for them last night, Lou, but Mange finishes with a goal and two assists, including an assist on the game winner for Dylan Dubé in overtime. And uh, as part of the uh, media avail with Dylan post game in the Flames locker room, he was asked about uh, his teammate, who he knows pretty well over his years here in Calgary, and what he's seeing from Andrew Mangiapane the last couple of weeks. Here's Dylan Dubé on Mange. He's awesome. He's, he's great. He hunts the puck. He's relentless. He's been lost while he's been our top player. He plays the right way, and that whole line's been awesome. And they... You know, they build games for us and create momentum, and it just showed tonight uh, what that line can do together, and, and he's a huge part of that, uh, you know, that tri trio there going for it. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch, and, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a character guy. It's always fun being out there with him. He uh, is playing the best hockey of his season, has nine points in his last six games now. That line was too much. To deal with the majority of the night and every underlying analytical way of looking at it certainly the eye test you didn't need much backup from where i watched the game from the whole line was fantastic once again led the way in every way shape or form and i, I like dylan's comment in regards to how they've been building the game for the rest of the group and that's exactly what they've done and Andrew with his work is tenacity all the things that Dylan talked about and he went through a tough beginning new contract guaranteed has put extra pressure on himself to get near the types of totals he had one season ago hasn't always been easy this season but when he gets back to being himself he can't help but be successful because the work is very very good and the work has been turned up a notch or two from even well not his standard but you never really feel like he doesn't give you everything he's got ever but it's been a more determined, a more confident with the puck. He is a really impactful player right now, and so are Blake Coleman and Michael Backlund. Uh, speaking of impact players, uh, the Calgary Flames lose one of their impact players on the back end early last night, Lou. Chris Tanev uh, leaves the game after just two and a half minutes of ice time favoring his shoulder after uh, a check from Eric Robinson along the boards. He would not return. Flames didn't have an update on him post-game and will wait till practice tomorrow as the team isn't on the ice today to get an update on Chris Tanev. And it doesn't take long. As soon as you see those two penalty kills in the second period, Lou, uh, you immediately once again go back to the impact that Chris has on this group defensively. Well, he glues it all together. He's the security blanket. He's their most trusted guy. You know, he's block shots. He's as selfish. He's as selfless a player as I've maybe ever watched in watching a team on an everyday basis at this level. So his impact is always large. 
his absence, if it's for any length of time, will be greatly missed. I never like it when the guy with a pain threshold that's been described to me in the past is pretty much non-human. Knew for a fact that he was hurt and completely did not pass go on his way to the dressing room and did not return. Maybe the only positive, if you can come up with one, because I really can't, is that this team is now two games away from being off for nine days. So maybe, just maybe the timing and maybe it's not quite as bad. And, and Logan, to add to it, I just, I just think he was closing in on getting a lot closer to being physically where he wanted to be, which I do not think in a lot of cases this season he has. And that's an area that has absolutely been an issue for him on that right shoulder side. So, you know, we'll just wait to see what the doctors and the team have to say and hope for this group going forward that they're not going to be without them for a long, long length of time because they are in some battle and, you know, there's just over 30 games now left in the season and he's just a guy they will not be able to replace him. However, even in the worst case scenario, if you reflect back 2014, 2015, when they lost Mark Giordano to that season ending injury in New Jersey, mm-hmm. his bicep, um, they did find a way and even did find a way to win a playoff series. However, uh, you're not likely to do that this time without making an addition to your defense. Yeah, and that's been a conversation that I know you've been having, Lou, and you've brought up with me and with others around this team, even when, even exactly when he's healthy. So, you know, talk about what, how important that might be if he has to miss some significant time. We don't know that, but, you know, the fact that we're already, we've already had that conversation when he's in the lineup just tells you where the group is at. Yeah, and it's a really fortunate thing that in 20 and 20 minute plus situations, including 26, I think 40 plus last night for Nikita Zadorov, he has obviously truly elevated his game. And that is going to be even more important, I would think, certainly in the near future that he's been a good player and there's been good stretches of time where he and Mackenzie Weger shifting back again to his strong side have played some pretty good hockey together. So, you know, we'll see where it all goes. Uh, last thing I wanted to get to with you, Lou, a uh, clip from the head coach last night, his post game uh, media address, uh, just talked about you know what was a, a busy night for his team in terms of everything going on the the hype around Johnny Gaudreau. There was extra TV cameras. There's lots going on on 
nights like last night that involve a former player coming back to town, and Daryl was was pretty impressed with his group overall and how they handled what could have been a very uh, distracting night. Uh, that we were in total control. That's as I said. If you're not, you're not going to be good five and five. And we were. I mean, other than the penalties, Johnny's that's what he's said today. He's going to be over there and he's going to make the play over there lining. That's what he did. He did it twice. So it wasn't like it was, oh, that's a surprise. Yeah, five on five, they were a good team. There's absolutely no debating that. Um, you know, I, th I think the one topic that I hope to get to, even with him, maybe on Thursday, is this team's ability to maybe not be as comfortable when they're in front. Mm -hmm. That, but I'm not going to disagree with the evaluation because the evaluation is correct. Five on five, they were very sound, solid, right where they'd want to be. Corpusalo was excellent in goal, deserved a lot of kudos for his performance. Um, you know, even in the first period, you might have had a chance with a couple more to get to two or three and completely change the course of the night for how well you played, but they didn't. And that would be my only takeaway in terms of how they played or didn't play. And when I saw Jason LaBarbera's reaction, you can usually tell in the assistant coach's face almost immediately when they think it's been like really subpar. And I didn't see that last night. So I guess in closing, Logan, with my evaluation, you do sometimes get wrapped up, as I think everyone does, in a game against a team like that when two points becomes in jeopardy. You're not feeling the same way the way the game played itself out if that happened Saturday afternoon. But you did last night. And there's reason to feel that way. But we also talked yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, about, you know, they took seven penalties in the game in Columbus. Now, they didn't score on them that night. But you fed their opportunity to get back in the game. Because five on five, they didn't match up well, and they shouldn't match up well. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been the one issue for this team too. Is just as good as the penalty kill can be. You, you're playing with fire, even with a group like the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are injured or dealing with you know some issues of their own. But you give them enough chances, Lou, and it only takes one or two guys to really make it happen on a power play sometimes. And that's kind of been a a key example for the Flames, and it'll be something that they'll want to clean up over the next couple of games. And certainly when they come back. Uh, from the All-Star break, but uh, it's an off day for the team today. They've got the charity poker tournament happening. They'll be back on the ice uh, tomorrow uh, and getting set for a matchup with the Blackhawks. Thanks for the time, as always, Lou. Have yourself a great afternoon, hey? Yeah, I sure will. You as well.
Take care. Peter Labardius, our Flames insider and the color voice of the Calgary Flames, joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. He kicks off every edition of Sportsnet today, and he uh, does so thanks to the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The uh, Gemini Group knows that your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit the Gemini Group. .ca. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. We'll check in with our Tuesday regular Bic Nazar from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver where uh, it's never a boring time to follow the Vancouver Canucks and tonight uh, another debut to talk about for Vancouver. Bruce Boudreau is officially out and the Rick Tockett era begins tonight for the Vancouver Canucks when they welcome in the Chicago Blackhawks. What are the expectations for Rick Tockett as the Canucks are now paying three head coaches and uh, are looking square in the face of missing another postseason? We'll talk to Bick Nazar, Sportsnet 650, coming up next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The Rick Tockett era officially begins in Vancouver tonight. The Canucks host the Chicago Blackhawks with the Bruce Boudreaux saga now behind them. The focus is on Rick Tockett. Can he turn this team around defensively? What does the rest of the season look like for the Vancouver Canucks? What's his approach going to be? How does this affect what the team is going to do in a couple of weeks in the trade deadline? Uh, there's never a shortage of topics when we have our uh, Tuesday chat uh, with our pal Bick Nazar from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. He joins us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Bick, how's it going, man? Just trying to get a nap in uh, before the next uh, drama that happens. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's there's no uh, no rest for the wicked out there in Vancouver. Um, before I talk about talking and I ask you about what you've heard from him so far and kind of what you're expecting, uh, from the new Canucks head coach, take me through the last couple of days of, of Bruce Boudreaux as this team's head coach. And uh, look, we can talk about, you know, the treatment of him and whether it was fair or unfair to Bruce, but I've never really seen a situation where a coach has been by every insider and person around hockey you know, decided that he's being moved on from, but yet trotted out there for, for two more games. How did you guys sort of process, and what was the, the mood in Vancouver where seemingly everyone knew Rick Tockett was coming in, but for some reason we needed to go through these last two games with Bruce Boudreaux as the head coach? Yeah, let's be clear. There's no fair or unfair way Bruce Boudreaux was treated here. It's unfair. It's not that he didn't deserve to be relieved. Uh, 18-25-3 and three is not exactly a ringing endorsement for, for Bruce Boudreaux's work here. It's the manner in which he was let go that doesn't really make a lot of sense for a lot of people. And, you know, Jim Rutherford can point to speculation. It's not really speculation when what's being speculated upon comes to fruition within a handful of days. So, it was very unfair the way Bruce was trotted out for a handful of days, having to face media, wearing the emotion on its sleeve. Nobody wants to see that. And I think a lot of people would connect with that situation. Just they would want to see their employer treat them better. And they saw a representation of it in a very public fashion with Bruce Boudreaux. As far as the last couple of games, first of all, like Canucks fans deserves all the credit in the world for trying to make something positive out of very weird and bleak situation 
getting that moment with Bruce and both the Colorado and Edmonton games. That was kind of cool, but it was a surreal experience to be in that rink, uh, you know, in the, the home opener against Buffalo this year where jerseys were being tossed on the ice. They're lost the opening five games, lost that game. That was a surreal experience because it's the home opener. It's the easiest layup you can get for good vibes on a season, but it was a hostile environment and it was kind of an out of body experience. This was not as hostile, but it was very much the same out-of-body experience because you just didn't know what to expect. And the players themselves played in such a manner where it was hard to get motivated. And that's why I kind of credit the fans because there was nothing to really dig into these last two games versus Colorado and Edmonton. And the fans showed up for Bruce, and he reciprocated in kind as well with some gestures uh, towards the crowd that were serenading him. How interesting was it to hear guys like Tyler Myers sort of publicly acknowledge that this was something that was wearing on the team. You know, players try to do the thing of, well, we, you know, we shout the noise and all that sort of stuff, but by and large, uh, I would take that as lip service from a lot of players because mm-hmm. it's stuff like they're very aware of it, right? You come yeah. into the season knowing your coach is on a one-year deal and they know they're losing games. They know they've you know, lost two of their, or won two of their last 10 they're not stupid and they're all familiar with that of business. And, you know, what's, what's surprising too is this team has gone through coaching changes too, as well. So the habit of, oh, we're waiting for the next shoe to drop has already been exhibited by more specifically this group. So they've, they've been through this and, you know, it's, it's great to say yeah, it, it did distract them and, there's there's a lot to blame to go around in this scenario, obviously, and, and the fact that it impacted games now is a big problem. But at the same time, I, I don't have too much sympathy for the players because they've done this before. This is their personality. When Travis Green was going uh, on his way out, there was an eight-game run there where they played checked out, and it, they don't necessarily always push back and fight for moments. So even last year, when they made a little bit of a run, there was questions of why are we in trade rumors? Well, it's because you're not winning overall. You're not going to the playoffs and you're not winning. And there was some criticism of this team is having some success right now. And why should JT Miller get traded? And why should Bo Horvath get traded? And time and time again, it's, it's, there's like pushback on adversarial moments that they don't really choose to rise above. So the organization needs to be better about it. But the players still need to do the job too. Okay, so Bruce Boudreaux is out. That, uh, other than paying him out the remainder of his contract and Travis Green the remainder of his contract, that era is is past the Canucks. And now uh, Rick Tockett comes in. He has his introductory press conference with Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin. What was the messaging from the front office, Bick, that you heard or what stood out to you from that introductory press conference when Rick was introduced by the Canucks? Yeah, and, and so that was a big takeaway. And the other thing is is Patrick Alvin is he was a bit more open in that uh, entire press conference. He's rather notorious for being tight-lipped and, uh, if, if not more than anything, uh, answering uh, questions with a different entire answer uh, and just kind of being uh, rather deflecting. And the, the idea that he took some responsibility of not creating as safe of an environment, as he put it, and giving players the opportunity – to strive to get better and, and being a bit more open with the players. That's something that it looks like he wants to be better at. And also, you know, Rick Taki kind of used that same language too, as far as a safe atmosphere of trying to get these players to be comfortable. If that's something that 
they've detailed and recognized as something that needs to be better. Uh, that's something certainly to keep an eye on moving forward. That try to get the most out of these players uh, if they don't if they feel like they're not developing uh, at the pace that uh, Canucks will certainly want to see. Okay, the biggest question that I've I've heard from you know whether we've talked about it here in Calgary or I've seen on social media, why Rick Tockett? Has that been discussed by Jim Rutherford or by Patrick Alvin? Have we gotten an answer as to why? Rick Tockett is the guy that's set to be the next head coach here in Vancouver, Bick? It kind of follows the trend uh, that we've seen, right? They, Jim Rutherford chose Patrick Alvin going to Pittsburgh. They chose Derek Clancy going back to Pittsburgh. They've brought in other people that have come from Pittsburgh. And more than anything, familiarity is the reason. And look, it, it's, not, it's not that Rick Tockett, uh, I, I would argue that in his Arizona tenure, you know, we, we sit here and we poke fun at Arizona and we're always willing to take cheap shots at like, oh, they're going to relocate and why is hockey in, in that state? They don't even have an arena, all that sort of stuff. And, and yet we're quick to assume that like someone that was coaching a team with no resources suddenly has to be a Jack Adams winner. And, and so like I'm willing to extend the opportunity to say, how does Rick Tockett connect with players and how does he get the most out of the players? Let's see how it works. In a, in a team like Vancouver, in a Canadian market, obviously there's going to be a lot more focus on it. So I, I, I think as far as his coaching record, I don't know how much stock I put into that. Like He did get an all-star nom, if I'm not mistaken, in 2019, 2020. Uh, and so there's that potential that this could really work out for hockey reasons. But I think the reason he's been chosen is familiarity and bringing that Pittsburgh culture and the, the building the program that they're all comfortable with and they're all familiar with that everyone's on the same page i think that's the the ringing endorsement that was in rick tockett's favor more than any other potential candidate a lot of people are focusing on the relationship that's beginning now between rick tockett and jt miller as perhaps being the one that's most important to this tenure do you see it the same way Bick? is that relationship between coach and player, the one that's going to define the Canucks the most as Rick Tockett goes on as head coach? Uh, no, it'll be Elias Pettersson. Uh, that's, that's what this is all building towards a little bit uh, to, to July 1st. I think I've said it on with you as well, that you know the opportunity to sign Elias Pettersson this summer is more important than actually concluding any potential contract with someone like Paul Horvat prior to March 3rd. Just knowing what the long-term future of your number one center is going to look like with Elias Pettersson. If you can figure that out July 1st, that's already a big win for Patrick Alvin and the rest of the Vancouver Canucks organization just to understand, okay, this is where we're secure now. And if it's an eight-year deal, we get someone in for however much it is. But now we know the pieces we can start building around. And I think that's the thing that, A, I think Elias Pettersson wants uh, to be coached hard and to, you know, give this team a sense of direction because I think that more than anything is what's going to be driving him is how are we, how do we intend to get better? How do we intend to actually get the Vancouver Canucks into the playoffs and play regular games? Because Canucks fans have seen him once in the playoffs. It's certainly not enough. And he played really well uh, in those bubble playoffs uh, going up against Vegas. You thought he was far and away the Canucks best player if they weren't playing exactly the most attractive style of hockey, but he put up 18 points in the playoffs. He can, he can play in that level, and you have to start driving that guy and challenging him both with a certain level of intellectual uh, challenge and also just presenting him with, with opportunities to go flex 
uh, how well he can be uh, in the NHL. So I think that's the relationship that matters more than anything. And how those two guys connect uh, is going to be a big uh, stepping stone to what the Vancouver Canucks can become. Should mention as well, uh, coming along with Rick Tockett in this uh, coaching hire is uh, Sergey Gonchar and Adam Foote. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Gonchar is not a member per se of the coaching staff. Vic. He's sort of a, a defensive game specialist, or, or I, I can't remember what the exact terminology was, but he's not going to be on the bench, right? Yeah, no, I I'm, I'm, would be surprised if he's even here uh, full-time. He's here right now. Uh, obviously, first impressions go a long way. But they've already spoken about, uh, you know, Zoom meetings and whatnot, and maybe he links up with them on the road sometimes. So I, I think there will be some part-time uh, work from Sergey Gonchar, but his focus will absolutely be uh, with player development on the defensive side, and Adam Foote will be behind the bench uh, running the decor. And honestly, I, I think these, you know, Gonchar in particular, obviously had success uh, in Pittsburgh, and I think here we go again, right, more familiarity <laughs> And I, I think that's what they want. They looked yeah. at it and said, look, when, in Pittsburgh, we could bring someone in. We got the best out of, obviously, someone with a great uh, plateau of someone like Chris Letang. But you go through it, and they got the most out of someone like Marcus Pedersen, Brian Dumoulin, John Marino, and on and on and on. And their focus here is, you know, Jim Rutherford on the last Monday's press conference talked about uh, finding reclamation projects you know, in that 25, 26-year-old range. This is the thing that they've had success in in Pittsburgh. And if, if they're going to try to do that and find different edges that they can win in, well, player development is absolutely going to be the thing that they have to win in and try to take some chances. They've obviously taken a couple here. Uh, Ethan Bear has joined the team uh, this year, Travis Dermott last year, and Jackson Nika, who got bumped up into a top six role at practice yesterday. They, they want to make some of these low leverage bets and try to see if the player traits with their refinement, they find something more. Uh, we'll see if it has that level of success, but they're bringing in the people that they've had success with. So there's a big bet on themselves through all of this. And certainly with the way it worked in Pittsburgh, you're, you're make, you're comfortable making that bet. It just, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work in a big way. Uh, so Canucks Blackhawks tonight. I know it's just the first game under Tockett. There's only been the, the one practice, uh, so far, it's just been a couple of days since he's been announced as head coach. Um, but is there anything that you want to see tonight, Bick? I'm obviously not expecting the entire structure of the team to be in place under the new head coach. But is there just is there something that you want to see from this group tonight under night one and to talk it? Is there a certain aspect that really you would like to to see come through from this Canucks team? It, it sucks to even say this, but compete level, right? Yeah. You, you, would ex- you, like, you would expect that anyways with the new coach in his first game and you want to make a good first impression. 100%. So my big, yeah, my big two concerns for this team coming into the year were competitiveness, like what sort of competitive drive do you have, and consistency. And those two things have completely come to fruition as far as how often do they compete, do they actually compete for 60 minutes, and are you consistent? They've been consistent on the negative side, but there is nowhere near enough honest efforts for Canucks fans uh, time in, time out. And uh, in the first game, yeah, you would expect them to uh, come out uh, guns a-blazing here, but how much can you actually improve? Is the defensive work going to actually improve? Probably not in one game. Uh, but yeah, I guess minor things we'd be looking at is uh, how the penalty kill uh, usage gets doled out because, you know, Rick Cocker was very open about he doesn't want top six players uh, in his 
PK roles, maybe here and there, but the expectation is if you're playing fourth line, you better have another role. And that's why players like JT and Pedersen and Bo have routinely clocked 22 minutes, that they're always playing these extra roles. And can you find something for uh, a Dakota Joshua who's uh, put up some goals here, but uh, hasn't really found a separate role? Ilya Mikheyev, he's getting paid a lot of money, and he's one of the premier penalty killers across the league. It was one of the puzzling decisions by Bruce Luder routinely that Mikheyev wasn't the first PKer over the boards. It was always Bo Horvat to win a faceoff, and usually accompanied with Elias Pettersson, and now recently Curtis Lazar. Uh, there's another guy who works hard. Uh, his his faceoff percentage is sub-50, as it has been his, throughout his career, and he's got one of the worst goals against per 60 on the PK in the league. So that's someone who you can't really trust out there, but they have to find roles for some of these players to eat up some minutes. Uh, before we let you go uh, away from hockey, it's pretty crazy, man. But uh, is Brock Purdy the best quarterback in the NFC West now? Is that is that what we're Stop talking it. about now? Is like it's, we're talking about Brock Lobster, man? He's uh, he's taking over. Trey, who? I, I I feel like it's a, a coin flip proposition here, where that the Trey Lance and Brock Purdy start Week One next year. I, I'm, I'm honestly I'm not sure. Like he's he's winning games. I get it, but. Have you felt comfortable watching him these last two weeks thinking, oh, yeah, like that's, that's a guy that's going to have no flaws moving forward? I'm more confident in their defense than anything. I, I'm really interested this week because I, I, I've talked about this. That, like, I think the 49ers have the best defense, and the, the pass rush is the best unit in the league outside of the Kansas City passing offense. But the Eagles, I feel like, do present a weird matchup for them. Uh, and I can see this kind of going the Eagles' way. I still want to sink my teeth more into the matchup this week, but I just I, I feel like it, it's it's coming to midnight for Brock Purdy at some point because he he just offers so little outside of a little bit of composure, like he's not turning the ball over, I guess, but he does not look like he's going to be a dynamic player. And at some point in this league, you need to make dynamic plays, and I just I don't know if he can do that. Um. I guess just last one, football-wise, how disappointing is it for the Bills to to go out the way that they did again in another subpar Josh Allen performance when they needed him? Yeah, for sure. And I was I always felt there was like a, a rush to do the coronation of the Bills and Josh Allen all off season. They made some good moves. Don't get me wrong, and and they were trying to take that next step. But it just felt like it was a better story than it was reality. Um, like they didn't go to the AFC championship game last year and they had to overcome the Bengals at some point. And the Bengals again, finished here in the spot that I just think they're a more complete team. And the thing that Josh Allen, like as flamboyant and amazing as he is, there's a certain level of erraticness that I, I just feel like the, the team takes on that personality at times. And, and when they have a high, they look fantastic. And when they have a low, it can be tough to kind of get out of that. And I, I just felt like they hit a low at the wrong time. And, and maybe they were just overly psyched about that matchup against the Bengals and the emotion draws away from it. But I, I just, it felt like all year they had problems, especially late in the year, uh, just being smooth. And sometimes you can't play the game at a hundred miles an hour and you just have to find wins throughout it. And, they just just never felt like they were on stable footing. And, and when you go up against a, another big kid on the block against Cincinnati, it just felt like Cincinnati just had cooler heads through a big moment. 
Should be a great weekend of games. Looking forward to it. Uh, always appreciate the time, Big. Thanks so much for hopping on with us uh, like you do every single week. Uh, have a great show today. Have a great broadcast, and we'll chat with you next week, hey? That's too. Take care. Big Nazar joining us from Sportsnet. 650 in Vancouver, our sister station. Of course, the home of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Big co-host of the People's Show uh, with uh, with Dom Saramni and uh, Canucks Post Game with Satyar Shah. Uh, all on Sportsnet 650, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, the Canucks era begins again tonight uh, as part of a busy NHL slate. Uh, Sportsnet Pacific viewers can catch the Canucks and the Blackhawks. Game one of Rick Tockett as the Canucks head coach goes at 8 o'clock tonight. Uh, I mentioned plenty of other games. Uh, Sportsnet's got a handful of them as well. The Panthers and the Penguins kick things off at 5 o'clock tonight across all of the Sportsnet channels. Um, don't look now, uh, but Matthew Kachuk and the Florida Panthers looking at an uphill battle if they want to head to the postseason this year. Uh, they got throttled by the New York Rangers yesterday and now into Pittsburgh for another big game tonight. That one goes at 5 o'clock. Sportsnet 1 has the Colorado Avalanche hosting the Washington Capitals. That's a great game. That one starts at 7 o'clock. Some other matchups tonight. Uh, to watch for Jets and Predators go at 6. You've got the Blues and the Sabres as well. Golden Knights in New Jersey to take on the Devils. Sharks and Red Wings. You've got the Wild and the Lightning. Kings taking on the Philadelphia Flyers. That one also a 5 o'clock start. And the best team in the NHL, the Boston Bruins, who are currently on pace to uh, to surpass 66 regular season wins uh, with a 37-5-4 and record. They will start Jeremy Swayman in goal tonight. They take on the Montreal Canadiens, who are quickly finding themselves more and more in the Cole and the uh, excuse me the Connor Bedard uh, conversation after another season-ending injury to one of their young stars, Cole Caulfield. He's done for the season. Uh, he joins a list that includes Uri Slavkovsky and others. Uh, Habs twenty twenty-four and three. They kick off the night against the league-leading. Boston Bruins. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. We'll kick off hour two. Switch things over to the Canadian Football League where Bo Levi Mitchell has officially decided to make the Hamilton Tiger Cats his new home for at least the next three seasons. You'll remember just a few months ago after the CFL season ended, the Calgary Stampeders traded the pending free agents rights to Hamilton, but wasn't guaranteed that he was going to sign with the Tiger Cats. He's made it official today. He's debuted in Hamilton colors, he talked to the media, and we will hear from now Hamilton Tiger Cats quarterback Bo Levi Mitchell next when we kick off hour two here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.